Luke chapter 12, and we'll be starting in verse uh, 49, where we left off last week. Luke chapter 12, starting in verse 49. Today, we're going to look at uh, five little short teachings of Jesus, um, and, and we're going to cover some ground today. We're not going to really dive in and, if, and analyze every little detail of every story. I want us to see the main point of each story, and then I want us to see the five main points and what it's telling us about how we can have a relationship with God, because I think that's what Jesus is doing. Luke, remember, this is a section from chapter 9 to about chapter 20, 21, that this is just nothing but different teachings of Jesus. And this is not one long sermon that Jesus preached. This is different teachings that he taught at different times. And Luke has put them together to teach us. And so here's, here's the main five points you can see. Jesus is going to talk about, well, I'm going to talk about the exclusivity of Jesus. And we'll define that word here in a minute, exclusivity of Jesus. And here's the main point of each one of these sections. First, we all must acknowledge the truth. If we're going to have a relationship with God, we must acknowledge the truth. The second point is we all need forgiveness. If we're going to have a relationship with God, we must be forgiven of our sin. Third, we all need repentance. Every single one of us must turn from our sin and turn to Jesus. And then lastly, we all need grace to produce fruit. So we're going to talk about each one of these but let me say this first. Many have tried to turn the message of the Bible and even the message of Jesus to be what I'll call an inclusive gospel. An inclusive gospel. And what they mean by that, and I think we have a slide, uh, Kayla. What they mean by an inclusive gospel, there's things that are true about that and there's things that are not true about that. And so by inclusive, some people mean that everyone of all time will end up in heaven at the end of all time, no matter what they believe, no matter what their religion was, but we're kind of all included in Jesus and can be saved. And all religions, all beliefs are equally valid, equally right, and we're all going to end up in heaven. That's what some try to say that Jesus' gospel is. Now, there's some ways that this word inclusive is good and true. But we've titled this series, The Gospel for Who? Everyone. Who's included in that? Everyone, right? So in some ways, Jesus is preaching an inclusive message. Everyone is welcome. The gospel is available for everyone. And the truth is also true. That no matter what you've done, no matter what your race is, no matter what your background is, no matter how wicked you've been, you can be included in Christ, right? And so, but it's not true that all will be saved. Only some will be. Not everyone puts their faith in Jesus. And so those who promote this kind of inclusive gospel that doesn't really matter how you live, doesn't really matter what you believe, in the end we're all going to be saved, they totally disregard passages like we've read recently and like we're going to read today. Now here's the truth. It's hard to see how Jesus is not proclaiming an exclusive message. An exclusive message. So let's look at this. The exclusivity of Jesus. 
Jesus is going to say, you're either with me or you're against me. And he's going to say over and over that those who are saved must believe in him and repent from their sin. That offer is available for everyone, but only those who believe will be saved. It excludes some people. Jesus is going to draw a line in the sand. He's going to draw a circle, and he's going to say, if you're in the circle, you're in. If you're not, you're not. Jesus says stuff like the, that he is the way, he is the door, and that the way and the door is narrow, and only a few people find it. Does that sound like everyone? No, he's saying only some will. Jesus is claiming that he is the only way to the Father. Does that sound inclusive? Does that sound that <laughs> every religion, no matter what you believe, is going to be saved? No. He's claiming, I am the only way. And Jesus claims not to be a truth or some truth or to have access to the truth. He claims to be what? The truth, the life, and the way. Jesus' message is very exclusive, right? Now, we think of the word exclusive like uh, exclusive vacation, right? That you have this access to this really fancy place, and this is an exclusive hotel or an exclusive whatever. And what do we mean by that? Well, only those with the right connections or the right amount of money can get in. And Jesus' message, don't get it wrong, is an exclusive message. It's available for everyone. He wants to include everyone. And so the question today is, how do we get access to this exclusive thing that Jesus is offering called salvation? Let's look at it. Luke 12, 49. Start there. We're going to read all the way to 13, verse 10. And Jesus says, I came to cast fire on the earth and would that it were already kindled. I have a baptism to be baptized with and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. Do you, do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. For from now on in one house there will be five divided, three against two and two against three. They will be divided father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. He also said to the crowds, when you see a cloud rising in the west, you say at once, a shower is coming. And so it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say there will be scorching heat. And it happens. You hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky. But why do you not know how to interpret the present time? And why do you not judge for yourselves what is right? As you go with your accuser before the magistrate, make an effort to settle with him on the way, lest he drag you to the judge, and the judge hand you over to the officer, and the officer puts you in prison. I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the very last penny. Verse chapter 13. There were some present at that very time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he answered them, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, 
But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the vine dresser, Look, for three years now I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? And he answered him, Sir, let it alone this year also, until I dig around it and put on manure. Then if it should bear fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. Let me pray. God, I pray this morning that your truth would be revealed. God, and I pray that um, as we study your teaching, as we study um, the message that you came proclaiming, God, help us to see how we can have access, how we can have a relationship, how we can be saved, God. God, may we acknowledge the truth this morning. God, may we own the fact that we need forgiveness. May we repent and turn from our ways, God, and turn to you, God, and may you give us grace so that we can produce fruit like you intended. And so I pray that you'd be with us this morning, God, lift us up, encourage us. Um, we pray all this in your son's name. Amen. Amen. Now, I don't know about you, but reading those five passages, is it clear how these all connect? Is it just real obvious what he's talking about? When I came to this this week, I'm thinking, my word, what am I going to say? But the more I, th I thought about it, each one of these is a parable in a way, right? And what are parables? They're made up stories and illustrations to teach one point, right? And so each one of these, I tried to just, what is the one point he's trying to teach? And then how do these fit? So we're going to look at each one main point from these. So let's look at the first one. Jesus says he came to cast fire from the earth. He has a baptism to be baptized. He's come not to give peace, but division, to divide houses. This doesn't sound like the Jesus that, that, that we think of. What do we think of? Sweet baby Jesus at Christmas. Peace on earth, right? And what does he say here? I'm not here for peace. I'm here to divide. Does that sound like the Jesus that we know? We kind of cringe at that. But this is Jesus' words. It's in red in my Bible. It must be, right? So what does Jesus mean? He says he came to cast fire on the earth. Fire is always a sign of judgment in Scripture. Fire is always a sign of judgment. Think about it. the bulls and the rams in the sacrificial system. What were they doing? They were, they were sacrificing these animals and they were burning them. Why? Because it was a picture that God was judging the sin that they put on those animals, not their sin. God was bringing down his judgment against sin, but it wasn't on them. It was on their sacrifice. We think of fire always as a term of judgment. And he says that I came to cast fire on the earth. So what's he saying? Jesus is coming as a judge. <laughs> We don't like that. We, we balk at that. We, we don't want to hear that. We want to hear, he came to love, he came to forgive, and he did, right? And he's going to make that point very clear. First, he came to be an instrument of salvation, but one day he's coming as a judge who will cast fire on the earth. Look at verse 50. Verse 50, he says, I have a baptism to be, ba baptism, man, one of those mornings. I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how great is my distress until 
it is accomplished. Now, Jesus is not talking about a water baptism. He's already done that. So what is he talking about here? He's talking about his being baptized, being flooded, being covered, being poured over with what? Our sin. When he's on the cross, he is being baptized with our sin. He's being covered and flooded with it. Water is also a picture of judgment in Scripture. Jesus, uh, the Old Testament, think about the flood, right? It comes, and what is it bringing? God's judgment against sin. When, when they crossed the, 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 dead, the, the Jordan River to go into the promised land, God holds back the waters from them, and they cross over into safety. And then who experiences the judgment? The Egyptians, right? In that, in that crossing, right? So water, being baptized, is a picture of death. Right? And we celebrate that. We're Baptist. What is it a picture of? That, that Jesus is coming to be baptized with our sin. He's coming to take our sin from us. And so before he comes to cast fire, he has a baptism to experience. And he says, verse 51, Do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather... Division. This is a statement of exclusivity. He's drawing a circle in the sand and he's saying, you're either with me or you're against me. I came to divide. And the, the way this division happens is, is based on me. You're either with me or you're against me. And by Jesus' death on the cross, he makes a way for some of us to be in the circle, for some of us to be saved, to be forgiven of our sin, to be rescued and he is the dividing line. He is making a massive statement of exclusivity. And he says in verse 52 and 53 that he will divide even houses against one another. Now, this is radical to them, right? Because in Jewish world, salvation is we're all going to be saved. Why? Because we're Jews. Because we're, we're of the family and the people of God. Whether you're good or bad Jew doesn't really matter. I got the bloodline. I'm good. And when Jesus says, even houses will be divided against one another, he's making a massive statement that some will believe and some will not. Even within a family, fathers against mothers. He's not saying, I'm here to cause family strife, but he is saying, I'm here as a dividing line. And what you think about me, what you believe about me will be the most important thing, not your family relationship. So I hope you see clearly that there's no room to say that Jesus is proclaiming this inclusive gospel, that all people will be saved in the end. It's just not there. He's made it very clear that there's only one way of salvation, and it's Him. Now, this message of gospel, this message of good news, is available for everyone. And so how can we receive that? Let's look at the next story, verse 54 through 56. Uh, he, he also said to the crowds, when you see a cloud rising in the west, you say at once, a shower is coming. And so it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say there will be scorching heat. And it happens. You hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? And so Jesus uses this simple analogy 
that they understand how to look at the sky and interpret the weather. We do the same thing, right? We can look outside. I don't know if you were outside when the eclipse was happening yesterday. I was, and I was very confused when I walked out of Walmart, just like, who turned the lights? What is this? This is strange, right? But we, we look at the uh, weather, we look at the clouds, and we can understand what's about to happen. When we see a wall cloud in the sky, what do we know is about to happen? A tornado, right? When we see uh, whatever, uh, I don't know what else. That's, that's the extent of my weather knowledge. Sorry, Shane, I don't watch the weather channel like you do. Uh, he tells them when they see a south wind blowing, they know what? It's about to get hot. And we know the same to be true. If the wind's blowing from the north, what is about to happen? It's going to cool off. We're going to get some relief from the heat. And so he's saying, you can look out and see what's happening, and you can interpret reality. And then he says, you hypocrites, verse 56, you know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? Jesus looks at them and says, you can, you can tell what the weather is, but you can't tell what I'm doing? Jesus has healed, and he's cast out demons, and he's proclaimed God's truth. He's fulfilling the Old Testament right in front of their eyes. He is a wall cloud right in their face, and they will not admit that he's a tornado, right? He is absolutely fulfilling the Old Testament prophecies of Messiah, and they are rejecting him. They are ignoring reality. And so what is Jesus' point here? He's saying you need to open your eyes and deal with the truth, the reality that's right in front of you. That is the first step. If you and I are to have a relationship with God, if you and I are to be in the exclusive club that is Jesus, what is the first step? Acknowledge the truth. We must acknowledge the truth that we are sinners that we have, are the ones who have put ourselves outside of the circle. That we have rejected God. And the first step towards turning back to Jesus is to acknowledge the truth. Let's look at the second one. Next story, verse 57. He says, And why do you not judge for yourselves what is right? As you go with your accuser before the magistrate, make an effort to settle with him on the way. Lest he drag you to the judge, and the judge hand you over to the officer, and the officer put you in prison. I tell you, he will never get out until you have paid the very last penny. So Jesus is, is speaking to their culture, and something that they did because their, their Jews ruled by the Romans. They did not have the authority to uh, capital punishment, prison, all those sorts of things. They were subject to the Romans. And so Jesus is saying, some of you are, are going before these Romans expecting to get justice, expecting to get uh, some sort of forgiveness or right. And he says, you're idiots. You, 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 this is dumb. Why are you doing that? You should try to work things out between yourselves first because you don't know what the Romans are going to do to you. Okay? That's what, the, that's what the example is about. Now, what is he saying at the end, verse 59, he says, I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the very last penny. Jesus is making the point that even earthly judges know that 
people are wrong and they deserve punishment. And he's making the point, you should try to get out of that. You should try to figure things out before then. You should try to forgive one another before you have to suffer the real judgment that you deserve. So what is he talking about? Yeah, he may be giving some advice on how to deal with the Romans, but really what's he talking about? He's talking about the spiritual, that every one of us is being dragged before the magistrate, the ruler, the king, and every one of us is guilty, and we know that. And he's saying what? You should try to figure out how to get out of that before you get to the judgment seat, right? Because if you, if you wait until then, he says, you will have to pay the very last penny. Jesus is saying, if you're smart, you know you're a sinner, figure out how to be forgiven before you ever get there, right? That's what he's saying. That's what he's trying to point out to us. Don't wait until you stand before the God of all creation at the end and try to justify yourself. He says it's too late. Try to figure it out before then. Find forgiveness before then. And so what Jesus is trying to get us to see is this. First, we all must acknowledge the truth that each one of us is a sinner. And second, we all need forgiveness. Because if we stand before God on our own behalf, we will have to pay the price for our sin. So where are we supposed to find forgiveness? How do we find forgiveness? Look at the next story. Chapter 13, verse 1. It says, There were some present at that very time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices and he answered them, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Now, Jesus tells, he uses two stories, these kind of two tragedies that had taken place in their day. And, I, and to be honest, I don't know a lot about these tragedies or what happened, but we can fill in some of the details uh, together. Um, apparently, Herod, Pilate, sorry, had mingled some blood of some Galileans with sacrifices. And, and in their mind, what they saw this as was that these people suffered immensely. This was, this was shame. This was terrible for them to go through this tragedy. And their belief, their core belief was, if you died like that, if you had to go through that kind of punishment, you must have been really terrible, right? You must have been a really bad Sinner. He must have really had it coming. And then he uses another story about a tower in Siloam that fell and killed 18 people. And, and their belief, their, their underlying belief was that these people, these 18, must have been really, really bad to have a tower fall on them and die in this way. And Jesus tells this story and he asks in verse 2, he says, Are these Galileans worse sinners than others because they suffered in this way. And they, in their mind, went, probably. Yeah, yeah. They've done way worse than I have, and they died like this, right? 
And, and he asked the same question about the eight team in, in Salome that the tower fell on. Are they worse offenders? And this is our core understanding as, as humanity so many times that the worst sinners de- deserve a worse punishment. And we put the bad ones over there and we put ourselves in the less kind of bad place. And what is Jesus' point? He says, no. Those Galileans weren't worse than you. And no, those 18 weren't worse than you. What does he say in verse 3? And he repeats in verse 5. Unless you repent, you will likewise perish. Verse 5. Unless you repent, you will likewise perish. What is Jesus' point? That every one of us is in the same boat. And we may not be like the Galileans. We may not be like the 18 at Siloam. We may not be like the worst of sinners that you're imagining right now. What is his point? Unless every single one of us turns from our sin and turns to Jesus for salvation, for, for hope, for purpose, for forgiveness, then we will perish. His point is what? We all need repentance. Not just those bad sinners. Not just those who who we think are worse than others. No, we all need repentance. We all must turn from our sin. Otherwise, we'll stand before the judge and we will be held accountable for it. We will have to pay the last penny. And Jesus is saying, if you repent and you turn to me, then there is forgiveness. There is forgiveness. Look at the last story. Verse 6. I made the baby cry. I'm sorry. Verse 6. And he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came out seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the vine dresser, Look, for three years now I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and I find none. Cut it down. Why should, I, why should it use up the ground? And he, the vineyard manager, said to him, Sir, let it alone this year also until I dig around it and put on manure. Then if it should bear fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. We've, we've already said we, in order for us to have a relationship with God, we first we must acknowledge the truth. We must acknowledge the truth. We must, uh, we all need forgiveness. And we just saw in the last passage that we all need to repent. But this last one is that we all need grace. Because ultimately, salvation, belonging to Jesus, uh, being forgiven is nothing that we do. We all need grace. Grace is a gift. Something that we do not deserve. And that's what this story is about. There's a man and a fig tree. Anybody ever try to plant a fig tree around here? No? Okay. All right. Shane, you have? Oh, yeah. Shane's real into a pumpkin right now. He's got like a 45-pound pumpkin at the house. Anyway, 65-pound, whatever it is. It's a lie. Um, (laughs) Sorry. Uh, There's a man, and he's trying to plant this fig tree. Why do people plant fig trees? Because they want to eat what? Figs. We don't plant fig trees for their beauty, mostly. He planted this fig tree so that he would produce figs. And he says he's given it three years. And his patience has grown thin because no matter what he's done for three years, this fig tree is just taking up ground in his vineyard. 
And so he comes to the vine dresser and he's like, get rid of it. I'm tired of messing with this. And the vine dresser says what? No, no, just let's give it one more year. I'll, I'll dig around it. I'll put some fertilizer out. I, I'll, I'll work on it. Now, if this time next year it doesn't produce fruit, I understand we got to move on. we got to cut it down. we got to get rid of it and do something that will produce fruit. And so what is Jesus' point? What is Jesus' point? That we all need grace. In order to produce fruit in our lives as Christians, we all need grace. We believe that salvation is by grace alone. And the only way that you and I will produce fruit in the Christian life is not because of our hard effort. It's not because of our our exceeding intelligence. It's not because of anything except for grace. That's the point he's making. That this fig tree needs a little bit of grace in order to produce some fruit. And you and I are exactly the same. Now, what is fruit in the Christian life? It's two things, I think. First... It's Christian character. We talk about, in Galatians, uh, the fruit of the Spirit. That this is the character that God is building in us. When we're saved, when we're rescued from the dominion of darkness, transferred into the kingdom of light, we are being transformed over time by the Spirit. And He's producing fruit in our life. And what is that fruit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, Self-control. If I was singing it, I could do it. But love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's the fruit of the Christian life. We need grace to be kind, don't we? We need grace to be joyful. We need grace in order to be faithful people. And that's what the Spirit is doing in us. He's producing fruit in the terms of He's making us look more and more like Jesus as we progress in the Christian life. Fruit also looks like, and it's talked about in the New Testament, as making disciples, i.e. multiplying. Why do you plant fig trees? Well, one, to grow figs. And then what do you do with the figs seeds? You plant those, why? To plant more fig trees to produce more fruit so that you can plant more fig trees and produce more fruit, right? This is the pattern that we're meant to multiply. God didn't save you just because he wanted you to belong to this exclusive club. No, he wants to produce fruit with you. He wants you to multiply in Christ-like character in the world that you live in. And he wants you to proclaim the message of good news that's available for everyone. And here's the bottom line of this story. The plants that don't produce fruit, what does the vine dresser do to them? He chops them down and throws them into the fire. What is that a picture of? It's hell, right? Those that are not part of the kingdom of God. And it's a stark picture. Those who do not produce fruit, those that don't grow with the fruit of the Spirit, those that don't multiply, what is he saying? That there is no, it's a bad tree. But what is the point of the story? It's not that. It's that we need grace. Fruit is not our, our grunting and, and hard effort and creative strategies and whatever. No, no, no. Every single one of us needs grace. We cannot produce fruit. I don't know how to produce love on my own. I don't know how to produce faithfulness on my own. I don't know how to multiply disciples on my own. I'm not smart enough. I'm not good enough. 
I need grace. You need grace in order to produce fruit. And so this is what Jesus is teaching here. He's making a claim of exclusivity. And he's saying, only those who are with me. But there's a problem. We must acknowledge the truth that not any of us deserve to be with him because of our sin. Right? We all must acknowledge this truth. And the only way we can get into with Jesus is forgiveness. We need to be forgiven of our sin, washed clean, made right with God. And how do we do that? It's through repentance, turning from our sin, turning back to Jesus. But all of this hinges on Jesus doing a work in our lives that we ultimately need grace. The bottom line today is this. You need Jesus in order to be saved. You need Jesus in order to grow as a Christian. You need Jesus in order to produce fruit, to be forgiven, to repent from sin, to, to evangelize the lost, to go on mission, to whatever. We need Jesus. We preach a very exclusive gospel that's all about who? Jesus. It's not about me. It's not about belonging to our little church or our little movement. No, this is about Jesus. And Jesus makes this claim that the only way to salvation is through him. That's not what I want to stand up here and preach today. It'd be nice to say, no, just live your life. Just be true to yourself. That's the message of today. But the message of the Bible is that Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, we would have it other ways, but that's not the way it is. Today, I think there's two feelings that you may feel in as we talk about this, as we talk about a relationship with God, as we talk about the need for forgiveness, as we talk about sin, there's two feelings, guilt or shame, and the other feeling is conviction. And there's a difference between those two. If you're not a Christian today, you may feel both of those, conviction or shame over your sin. Both of them... Are you realizing the truth that you have broken God's law, that you are not perfect, that you have rejected God? And the point of that feeling is onefold only, to draw you back to him, to realize that you need forgiveness, to realize that you, you can't fix what's broken inside of you. And so if you're not a Christian in the room today and you feel conviction or you feel guilt or shame, the message today is this. There is forgiveness. Jesus loved you enough to be baptized on the cross with your sin so that you could be set free. Now, Christians in the room, we too feel these both feelings. Feel we feel both of these feelings. Guilt and shame and conviction. Guilt and shame as a Christian is not from God. It's from the enemy. And the enemy wants to, you to feel guilty and ashamed of your sin. Why? So that you'll hide. So that you'll try to cover it up. He tries to convince you that you're too bad. You've done too much wrong to be, have a relationship with God. And he, he's trying to convince you to step away slowly from God by you feeling guilt and shame. But the truth of the matter is, is that God says that he has adopted us as his children. And if he has adopted us and chosen us to be in his family, then he will not reject you. He will not send you away, right? 
He may correct you, and that's what conviction is. He may discipline you, and that's what conviction is. Why? Because we do the same thing for our kids. We want them to come back into relationship. And so if what you feel today is conviction, that's from God. And it, conviction is not a, a bad thing. We may feel that it is. Conviction is God's kindness on display, that he is drawing us back to himself. He's convicting us of where we're walking in a path that doesn't lead to life. And he's saying, come back. Don't, 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 don't wonder. Don't go astray. No, come back to me. God's conviction is his kindness because he loves us and he wants us to walk with him. So let me pray today. God, I, I don't know if I've said anything of value today. God, I pray that, that the truth would be clear. God, that every one of us is a sinner who has rejected you and has walked away from you. God, and every one of us needs forgiveness. And we can't do that on our own. The only way we can come to you and be saved is by belief, faith in Jesus, turning from our sin, turning to Christ, seeking forgiveness from him. God, and you say in your word that you will pour out grace on us, right? That's how we're saved, is you giving us that gift. God, I pray this morning that for, for anyone in the room who doesn't know you, doesn't have a relationship with you, God, that they would no longer trust in themselves and hope that maybe the judge will give them, give them a pass one day, God, but that they would seek forgiveness while it may be found. God, that they would seek relationship with you before the end of all things, God. And I pray for those of us in the room who do have a relationship with you. And God, I pray that if we are feeling shame and guilt, God, that we would realize that that's from the enemy and that there's nothing absolutely nothing that can keep us from the love of God. You've loved us so much. God, may we reject the lie that we don't have a relationship with you, God. God, may we believe the truth and may when, where there's conviction in our heart, God, we turn from sin and turn back to you, believing that your way is the best way. And so I pray that you would be with us this morning. We love you. We pray all this in your son's name. Amen.